You are now listening to Kiss or Kill, Confessions of a Serial Climber by Mark Twain. Solo on the Charmaz. Your letter asked where I've been. The usual Shimani hangs, I suppose. The waiting is frustrating, but the locals don't even notice. They can afford to watch good conditions pass. I'm on a time limit, so things aren't the same for me. Before, I thought I was going to stay the winter. I don't know what changed my mind, but something stretched too tightly and snapped. A voice I'd been ignoring finally started screaming. Get out, Mark. It's time to go home. Things were tough, but going well. The franc is weak, so my money buys a lot, and I knew I could get by until I found work. When I came here from Grindelwald, I hit three weeks of good weather and even better ice conditions. By the time normal fall weather returned, I was happy. My hands were so swollen from whacking my knuckles against the ice that I needed a break. I spent a few days reluctantly looking for work and went to Geneva to pick up a wire transfer from my dad. Then the weather turned good again. It was my birthday, so I decided to treat myself to the north face of the Grand Charmaz. My friends had gone home in October, so I went alone, but I felt comfortable with the process. The Charmaz is a difficult climb. What we did on the Eiger was offensively easy by comparison, and a storm caught me near the top. It wasn't supposed to blow in for another 12 hours. Hard luck, I guess. And it scared me badly remembering that Welsenbach sat through four days of foul weather. I began rushing a bit, climbing carelessly. I expected to cruise the Heckmare finish because the crux is purportedly in the rock bands down low. I was wrong. The ice was extremely thin over steep rock. It was rotten or hollow in places. At one point when I eased my front points into the ice and weighted them, the whole plate cut loose and my crampons scraped down the rock underneath. I transferred the force onto my tools instinctively, but one of them ripped out too. I thrashed around swinging at patches that weren't even ice. Sparks showered down as the pick hit rock in rat-a-tat-tat repetition. My head spun with fear. I had the sensation of falling over backwards and tumbling end over end. I imagined my head breaking open like a carelessly dropped cantaloupe, my precious life making an ugly mess of the ice field below me. No witnesses or shock, just a lonely, soloist end. The music in my headphones shouted. Living the words, I stemmed out onto good ice and pulled for all I was worth, climbing to a relatively secure rest. I shook, barely holding it together, but I held it because I had to, because I needed to keep climbing. And the hardest part, finding a way down, still loomed ahead of me. It was snowing harder. I took an extra wrap in my ice tool leash and turned up the volume. I crested the ridge in a whiteout and didn't bother with the summit, which was 200 feet away. I jumped into the nearest couloir I saw, figuring that as long as it didn't cliff out, I'd be able to get down. Descent, descend, sanctuary, survival. I did not philosophize beyond recognizing that luck runs out all at once, never by degrees. 
I performed only primary survival functions, filling neither hunger nor thirst. I downclimbed until it became too steep and then repelled, leaving gear behind without caring because money meant nothing at the time. I went off single-piece anchors as I had so few, playing for all the marbles at every throw. Then the avalanches began. Small at first, but growing larger as more snow fell, and I put more above me by losing altitude. The slides roared down without warning. I'd hear one, sink my tools, tuck my chin to my chest, and hope it wasn't too big, that there were no rocks in it. I descended faster than ever before, overcoming my best efforts as I was overcome by events. Eventually, I reached relatively level ground. I breathed easier in the temporary sanctuary, I didn't know where I was, but I'd come through worse and believed I could handle the rest of the journey. Intuitively, I found my way back to the Mer de Glace and down to town. Being lost was trivial compared to the rest of the descent. There was nothing for me in the valley, no comfort or understanding or friends. I was a soloist who almost died, which is nothing special in Chamonix. I wandered the streets alone, but it was the last thing I wanted. True, I came here by myself in the first place, but that was a month ago before the super cool war, before the Charmaz, not today. I didn't want to be alone. I didn't want to stay here any longer. The voice said, go home, and I didn't have the energy to argue with it anymore. As the bus headed toward Geneva, I gave Shamani a warm smile and fond adieu. I didn't say goodbye because I knew I would be back. Thanks for listening to the Purpose in Being podcast. Please like and subscribe if you enjoyed. Links and details are in the show notes. This is an adaptation of Mark Dwight's book, Kiss or Kill. I'm leaving out quite a bit, so if you enjoy it, please pick up the official book. To find out more about Mark, go to markdwight.com. I'm recording this podcast in the van that I live in and learning as I go, so if you have any suggestions or advice, reach out. Here is a snippet of Mark Dwight's podcast, The Dissect Podcast. This is the stability of condition. And if someone in their real life wants to be a certain way for the rest of their life, Mm -hmm. they can't make the radical change to get there. It has to be slow, incremental, not just because these the the small changes are more sustainable, but because the you're reinforcing the habits, the actions, the thinking, the sensitivity. Mm that will allow you to maintain that for a long time.